If it's the first uh, Sunday you've been here, and that could be the case for sure, the, uh, we're in a series called Speak, and it's a look at the book of Job. Um, I don't know if those of you who've been with us have taken up the challenge yet to read the book of Job, but I cannot encourage you enough to do so. It's 42 chapters. It's a pretty good pull. I've always told you some things are really easy. This is a harder one to read through. And I'll say one more time, one of the easiest, we have such great technology now. You know, you can podcast, and you can, you know, Netflix and chill, and you can do all these things. You can also listen to the Bible. You can put in the earbuds while you're driving the car. You can do it while you're mowing the grass. That's my favorite kind of thing to do, actually. Um, and not just the book of Job, but other books of the Bible, things you want to understand better. Um, and listen to God's word. Listen to me. There's been a lot of work done. Uh, there, there's a passage in John that says, if we were to write down all the things about Jesus, all the world wouldn't hold all the volumes of books to be written. And that's pretty much true. I mean, it is true, but it's pretty much almost happened in Christian publishing. But if you aren't reading God's word directly... I just can't encourage you enough to read God's word directly for yourself, to believe enough that he has revelation for you, wisdom for you, that you can say, Lord, teach me something today, and then listen to God's word, study God's word, or read God's word. It's something that we never, ever outgrow. So we're in this series, the book of Job, and we told you last week on the intro a little bit about why we're doing this and, and what, how we were called to do it. But I thought it was interesting that the song selection today where we sang the words hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. Uh, Yah is the last, hallelujah, right? So praise Yah, which is short for Yahweh. And uh, Yahweh is the covenant God. And one of the moves we're going to see, I told you that Job was a righteous man, Job was a successful man, and Job had problems. And we kind of disabused us of the idea that you don't have problems if you're righteous and wealth and successful, right? Because he was wealthy by earthly standards for sure. And But there's something else I want you to see in the book of Job. So we did the bookends. I want you to see that at the beginning of the book, it's like God is God, God, God. And there's been a lot of God talk in the book, but it's El, Elohim. It's the most generic name for God. It's like if you say to someone, do you believe in God? And they're like, yeah, I believe in a God, or I believe in gods. That's Elohim, El, or Aloha. Aloha is another way it's said in the Hebrew. But I'm going to point out to you, in the book of Job, there are times that it's Elohim and times that it's Yahweh. And what will be the difference? Yahweh is a covenant God. He's the God that promises people that he wouldn't destroy them. He's the one that keeps his word. And so it's interesting to see the times that it's referred to in the conversations. We're going to get a lot of that in the next few weeks as El or Elohim and the times where Yahweh is speaking himself. And so we're going to talk about that today. So just see those narratives happening that there, that there is... Um, that God's favor is coming, but also in the struggle, in the difficulty, um, there's a God who makes promises to us that endure. And that's so important to understand about the book of Job. Okay, so we're going to do what we always do. We're going to pray before we get into God's word, and then we will uh, get into it this morning. Father God, we thank you for your holy, inspired word that was written down, uh, first told, and then recorded, and now brought to us. And Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word and the wisdom found therein. We pray this morning, Father, that Whatever our misgivings, we would set at your feet and hear from you. What we ultimately believe about the Bible is that you inspired it to be recorded, but more importantly, you inspire us by your Holy Spirit to understand it. And so we, we really want you to be our teacher today. I pray that you are the teacher of our hearts and souls today, and that we would all gain wisdom from you. Without your help in understanding it, we would not understand it at all. And with your help, we can understand as much as you'll allow. And so would you give us that today? Would you give us your presence, the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, as we enter into your word together in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so we only got five verses into the first uh, chapter last uh, last time. And uh, we'll start in verse 6. Okay, so 
chapter 1 of Job, verse 6. So we just did the intro to Job, and this is the story. Now, this is the only time, what we talk about today, is the only time we're going to get to see some kind of behind-the-scenes action of what's happening in Job's life. This is what the word says. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth upon it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Well, does Job fear God for nothing, Satan asked? Have you not put the hedge of protection around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day, when Job's uh, sons and daughters were feasting and drinking at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one left who escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. And they put your servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still yet speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, the house collapsed on them and they're dead. But I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from the womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. We're going to cover more in the chapter 2, but I want to stop there. This is the first affliction, and that's today's topic, is the affliction of Job right? You'll recall that last week that, that the Bible recorded that Job is righteous, upstanding, and that um, and he is uh, uh, successful in this life right now. And in the middle of all this comes this huge, crazy, catastrophic interruption. But I want to I get into the idea that there's a battle happening behind the scenes that Job does not see. One of the weirdest things about the book of Job is you can read it two different ways. One is the whole narrative where you get to see the narrator's story behind the scenes. And the other is whenever uh, you, you think of Job and what he experienced not knowing what happened. I told you in three weeks we're going to have a question and answer time on the book of Job. And the interesting thing about that is someone's already asked a question. They said, well, how could anyone know what happened in heaven? Like, we know that there's a story of Job suffering, but how can anyone know? We don't know. Divine revelation. A story that was told, what happened to Job? A story that was told in Job's affliction. Listen to me, we're going to get there. A story where Job hears God speak, because he needs to hear God speak. And then in hindsight goes, that's what was happening back then. You know there's a reality in our life that we're going through hardships. The reality is that you don't off, you don't hardly ever see it in the moment. You see it in hindsight. You go through those really hard seasons of life and you're like, God, what is happening to us? And then you look back and you go, oh, 
I see what God was doing back there. I would have never asked for it. I would have never selected it. But here we are, changed, transformed. I told you there's another thing happening in the book of Job. I'm convinced every book of the Bible and every person of the Bible, and indeed, church, in your lives, that God is after something in you. He's not content to tell some story about these ancient peoples and these ancient individuals and whatever cardboard character. He wants real people, and he's after real things in our lives. He's seeking something in Job. This isn't a random choice to say, consider Job. So going back then to the day, it says in verse 6, one day, one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. I want to make a real quick point here. It's a minor point, but the word is translated angels in NIV. It means sons of God. The sons of God, the sons of El, present themselves. It's some group who's gathered around God, their creator, and, and kind of in his presence. It says to be standing before him. But then the second thing, and this is the introduction of the character, Satan. And I don't mean character as if he's not real. Satan's very real. But Satan, it says, is standing in their midst, in the middle of the sons of God. Satan is standing. It's interesting that the Lord, that Yahweh speaks to Satan, where have you come from? I was, I was wondering that um, in the middle of it, do you think God doesn't know where Satan has been? Let me ask you this question. Why is there a difference between Satan and the other sons of God? They're all seeing the same thing. Here's the first thing I want you to understand, that Satan is the adversary. If you have an engagement sheet today, that's the first blank, is an av- the, av- the adversary. In-, in what ways is Satan the adversary? Satan is the adversary. It, his name literally means adversary, right? He's the one against you. If you're on the side of the football, he's on that side of the football, right? If you're out here playing defense, he's over there playing offense, right? If you're trying to play offense, he's over there playing defense. He's always against who? I want you to see that, first of all, he's standing before God as an adversary to God. Like, if you think that, well, why would Satan mess with us? He messes with God. It's foolish, but he does. He sees all the things that the sons of God see, and yet in the middle of that, he still is adverse to what God wants. As a matter of fact, we learn from Scripture, he wants the very opposite things of God. So primarily, Satan is the adversary against God himself. But look at what he says. Where have you been? Where, do, where have you been? He says, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. What does that tell us? That he is an adversary of the creation, of everything that's good, that's holy, that's pure, that's intended for God's glory. He's adverse to it. He doesn't like it that the trees scream out praise to God. He doesn't like it that the mountains sing of their creator. He doesn't like it that the, the, the sea creatures. And Job is going to get into all these big stories of God in his, in his own story of faith. You see, Satan is the adversary of the whole world, indeed, specifically, of all humankind. Where have you been? I've been roaming all over. Look at what his word says. All over the earth, that's the, the soil, and then going back and forth in it. So not only is Satan in the midst of the sons of God, he's in the midst of people. Looking, 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 looking. How can I, what can I do? What can be done? Because he's so against God. Here, here's something wild. It says, uh, God appoints uh, Job. So here we go. It says back and forth. Now on the verse 8. Have you considered my servant Job? The Lord says to Satan. I don't know about you, but this ain't the time I want God to bring me up. 
When Satan's like, where you been? He's like, I've been going looking for bad stuff. I'm going to get into trouble with somebody. And he's like, have you considered Bill? I'm like, no, it's okay. Don't consider me. Don't look my way. I get enough trouble on my own. <laughs> I don't need someone else encouraging me, you know, to, to get me into trouble. But I want you to see, and this is the second point, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on the adversary. Why? Because God's in charge. It says, the word says that God appointed Job. The word considered there doesn't just mean to consider, like, have you thought about Job? Have you seen Job? Have you noticed Job? He says this. Have you considered Job in the way of appointment? Here's one of mine. Job. Have you considered him? You know, in that moment, God's like painting a big target on Job's back. This is where one of our struggles comes with text, because you're thinking, God, why would a good God do this to a, a righteous man like Job? Matter of fact, I want you to see what the word actually says about Job very, very next. It says, this, because unless you believe that the book was written and it was like, oh, they're just saying he was righteous and upright and all those things I told you last week. Look at what God says about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless. He's upright. Remember I told you he's, he's righteous. There's no sin. He's upright. He comes right at you. He doesn't try to deceive anybody. He fears God, El. That's Elohim there. So Yahweh is saying he fears God, and he shuns evil. He turns away from evil. Why would I point that out? Because God affirms the very same things that the culture had seen in Job. He says the same things, and that's a huge deal. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, we're going to hear God say those things again. So, so here, then Satan gets kind of annoyed with this, and he, and he asks a question we could all ask. Verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing, right? Well, of course they're Christians. Their whole lives are going well. Do they not? Aren't they Christians for a reason? It's better for them, right? They believe in God because it serves them in some way. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? We went through the list last week of his blessings that God had given to Job. Have you not blessed the work of his hands and so that his flocks and herds have spread throughout all the land? But stretch out your hand, and here's where we're going to get into really deep waters, and strike everything that Job has, his, his possessions, wait a minute, his relationships, and he will surely, what, curse you to your face. We're going to get into the children thing a little bit today. Do you remember what he said about his children when they would have these feast days every year? He would make sacrifice in case they cursed God in their hearts. He ain't worried about how his kids act in public. He's worried about how his kids act in private. And he's like, I'm going to make sacrifice so they're right with God because they might have cursed him in their hearts in the middle of that party. They might have lost the plot for a moment. And Satan says this, if you touch his stuff with your hand... He will surely, surely curse you to your face. Looking for someone else to join him in cursing God. Has, does Job not fear God for nothing? The question is this. Does he not, does he fear God freely? At this point, I would say, prosperity gospel, welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> Because we still in this cult, 2,000 years later, 5,000 years after this, right, or more, there's, a, there's recordings of people uh, who are still believing, and you're going to see the book of Job full of this, people who believing that those who are doing well are God, showing God's favor, and those who are struggling are showing that God's not happy. And, and, and that is one of the works that Job's going to do in Job's heart, that there's a God who's over everything, the good and the bad. 
It's, it's, it's complete in this book that God is in control. And you even see it, if you watch it here in the middle of Satan's conversation with God, he doesn't say, if you let me go do these things. He says, if you stretch out your hand, he will curse you. This one of yours you claim to know. He will curse you to your face. That means in your presence. He will, he will curse you in his heart. So what happens then? God says, very well. Sure. Everything he has is in your hands. See, he gives it over. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger on Job. So Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord. And you can almost imagine his giddiness here. I'm going to get something. I'm going to get my way. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting, notice the point here, 13, at their oldest brother's house. That's the, that's the feast that he used to make sacrifices for. They're having a party. All this happens in one day. The day can be interpreted as a day. It is a day or a day of judgment, but it's all in one. And the way the story is told is breathless. A messenger came and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and, and the, the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who came to tell you. So there's going to be four kind of... Uh, Attacks that, that, that Satan uses against Job, God's servants. And I want you to hear what they are. Because and what, is his, what is his goal? To get Job to curse God to God's face. That's Satan's goal in Job's life. You have to see it. Okay? And so he comes in four different attacks. First of all, the 500 oxen and 500 donkeys are stolen by the enemy. They're not destroyed. The servants are killed. It says while they're plowing. And what does that mean? While Job is making production, all the things, he's worked hard. He started a business. He's successful. He's been blessed. And in the middle of all this, the very means of production have been cut off. This will have a lag effect in Job's life. It means in years to come, he'll be poor. He'll have nothing to eat. He'll have no sustenance for his household, let alone himself. The 500 oxen were plowing, and the 500 donkeys were eating nearby, and they were all stolen by who? The Sabaeans, the Sheba people, the enemies, the attackers, came from out of nowhere and took all the animals and killed all the servants. Then the second attack comes against the sheep, and it says that the 7,000 sheep and the servants who tended them, and I don't know how many servants it takes to tend 7,000 sheep, but I bet it's a lot, Right? are burned up, consumed by fire of Elohim from heaven. Now, that's interesting. The sheep are in the field. They're a migrant flock. I told you Job's a migrant person. He's overseeing this. And this must, and I'm just going to say, if you're sitting here, one thing for an enemy to steal your stuff, right? Take all that you've worked for. Another thing for fire from heaven to rain down and just consume your things, as I study this, I can't imagine that this isn't something to do with sacrifice. Remember, you take an unblemished lamb and you offer it to God for your sins. That there was a judgment of God happening on Job from Job's perspective. Wow, God isn't happy with me anymore. The whole sheep, the whole flock's been burned up and all my servants with it. The word actually means to be consumed, to be eaten. The fire came and they were consumed. And this one poor soul shows up and says, and I'm the only one who made it out alive. How terrifying. Would that have been? So the second thing is this kind of judgment of God and his holiness is being, being afflicted. Job's, if he thought he had God's favor, now he's got to question it. I don't think I have God's favor anymore. The third is that the 3,000 camels that he had, the most in all the land, were stolen by the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans actually devised a plan to steal them, broke up into three raiding parties and came in and killed all the servants and stole the camels. I'm like, what's a camel for? 
hauling all your stuff. It's like all your transportation, all your ways to get around to flee, just gone in an instant. It's like he had the whole garage full of cars and someone came and just stole them all. Or the fleet of vehicles for his business is gone. Not only his means of production, but his means to get production to market is taken from him. The camels are stolen. The servants are killed by the Chaldeans. And then the last, and, and, and you know, you're reading the story, you go, bad, 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 and you go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Because you hear in verse, in, earlier in chapter 1, how much Job is concerned for his sons and daughters, how, how, how burdened he is for their status with God. And, and you must see, it says, that while they were having the feast, and I'm going to interpolate here, that means before he could make atoning sacrifice for them. This is going to come back in the story. Before he can make a sacrifice for his children, a wind came from the desert, a great wind across the desert wilderness, and it hit the four corners of the house they were in, and the whole house collapsed on them. The words are devastating when it says, and they are dead. Not they're injured, not they're kind of harmed a little bit, but they're gone, Job, in an instant. Again, this is now not an enemy that did it. They didn't come in. There's no one to get retribution against. It was a wind from across the wilderness that strikes the house and collapses. And I can't help but believe that in Job's heart, this father who's been so concerned for his kids' righteousness and in the middle of one of their feastings, before they had finished the feast, before he made sacrifice, now judgment on my children. And that's going to come up as well. As Job wrestles, listen to me now, I told you this series is going to be heavy. Job wrestles at a gut level with the reality of the life that we live. The house collapsed. Not only did all these losses occur, by the way, but each time a servant slipped away to bring the news. And I think that's a doubly cruel blow. You know, there's sometimes ignorance is bliss and bad things happen, you don't know it. You know, I remember one time I was on vacation and something bad was going on. I didn't know it. I was like, this is a great vacation. I got home like, oh, this is a bad vacation. <laughs> but if someone had showed up on the messenger and they're like, hey, uh, there's bad news at home, I'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no. One servant is preserved to come and bring joy. You might go, well, yes, it's an old story. Of course there's one servant. That's how they're going. You know, well, listen, let's not be so cynical. Everything he had. Right now, Job has what? A wife and four servants left out of thousands. It had to be thousands that have been destroyed. And here he sets this once great man, now completely devastated. All happening in one day. We have to see that. One day, bam, bam, bam. I want to show you something else now. We're going to come back to some of these verses, but I want you to see this. On another day, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. I, I want to stop there for a second and say that we'll read these two accounts back to back, but there's a time gap of suffering in here for Job. The loss of his family is enough. The loss of his stuff is enough. The loss of his servant is enough. The loss of his means to make money is enough. But then there's this enduring suffering. It doesn't say the next day. It says another day. So after a season now, we hear the same story. Listen to the word. On another day, the angels, the sons of El, came to present themselves before the Lord, Yahweh, and Satan also came to be with them in their midst and present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, listen to these words, church. 
Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He still maintains his integrity, though you incline me against him to ruin him without any reason. So I just want to stop here and say, isn't it wild that in the middle of all this, God's still like, but have you thought about Job? I mean, I kind of almost think God's being a little snarky with Satan here, right? Like, uh, nothing's happened yet, right? Nothing's happened. What, what, what were you going to do again? What was going to happen again? Big talker, adversary, hater of me, hater of my people, hater of my children. What, what were you going to do to him exactly? He affirms again. Look at what the word says. There's no one like him, blameless, upright, a man who fears God and turns from evil. Still, Job, the word says, God says, and he yet maintains his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. This is problematic. God did this for no reason. It's not what the word says. It says Satan incited God against Job for no reason. Satan incited him against Job for no reason. And even though there was no reason that Job could rationally understand why this would happen to him, he yet maintained integrity. Verse 4, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and surely then he will curse you to your face. Yahweh said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands but you must spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he afflicted Job with painful sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And when Job then took a piece of broken pottery and he began to scrape himself with it as he sat among the ashes, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like one of the foolish women. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So I want you to see that all this is in God's control. The second afflictions come. And, and, and whenever God says, have you considered my servant Job, although you incited me against reason, Satan must have been so frustrated, but he goes to the only place he knows, and this is something you can take away from this, right? All he knows is selfishness, self-preservation, Here's how it works in life. If I were God, X, Y, Z. Because in some twisted way, all of us want to be God. Are you a control freak? I'm a control freak. What is that? I need to be in charge of stuff. I need it. God's in charge of stuff, y'all. Good stuff, the bad stuff. He's in charge of it. And, And Satan goes, yeah, yeah, you took his stuff, but if you touch him... For his own sake, in the middle of his suffering, when you get in between his bones and flesh, when you get in there, then then he's going to deny you to your face because that's all Satan knows is selfishness. Listen to me. He knows nothing of a reverence, of a respect for God. It's not his vocabulary. The very best thing he can sell is like, if life's going good, good. If life's going bad, bad. That's all he can do. But he can't see anything that endures beyond the bad. He can't see a genuine presentation for the God, before God when things are good, but only his own indulgence. How frustrated he must have been when he said, let me touch his flesh, and then he will. Job is here afflicted with painful sores, itching and scratching and torment. 
He's sitting on a hill of ashes. Now, real quick, I'm just going to unpack this, and then we're going to get Job's response. But um, this idea, you know, one of the things that chicken pox when you're little and then shingles when you're older, and people I respect, like, shingles makes you crazy. It makes your skin crawl. You can't, ugh, right? I've never had them. I don't want them. So I've heard. Or people who get a, a, a wasting disease, they call it, where, like, you get things on your face, and it says the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's just covered in boils, and he's gross. And, and don't cheat it out. Don't say, well, he didn't look that bad or whatever, you know. And what does it say? He tears his garments, right, and he sits on a pile of ashes, and he's lament. He's about to lament his condition. Ashes. Put him on his head. It's a sign of humility. And you remember whenever Jonah, the king uh, in the book of Jonah, uh, he covered his, he put on sackcloth and covered his head in ashes to, de- de- to-, to lower his own status. Here's Job, and he's sitting on a pile of ashes, totally broken. Like, if you think you've gone to the pit, Job's in the pit. He's down there. What am I going to do? He's sitting in his pain. Job's afflicted. He takes these and he starts to scratch himself with broken pottery on a pile of ashes. The whole scene is disgusting, church. Have you ever seen someone suffering so much that it makes you uncomfortable? Like you go, oh, oh, I feel bad for you, but you're terrified for yourself. I I don't want to see that. You ever seen someone that's that's, that's grieving in a way that's uh, uh, uncomfortable to witness, to you know, it's gross. God appoints Job for suffering. He appoints him. It's not an accident. God's in control the whole time, but he does it. Let's not rob, let's not give Satan glory for what God gets glory for. So what does Job do? Here's the last point. Job worships and suffers. That's crazy. It's crazy. Look what the word says. When his kids are killed, the four corners of the house, in verse 20, at this, at this news that his kids had died, it says, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. And all that we understand, right? Like, ah, and you tear your shirt, and no, and you collapse. But it doesn't stop. And it says, and he worshiped worshiped God. Listen to the words he said as he fell down. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. May the name of Yahweh be praised. Have you ever seen someone worship in the middle of a situation? You go, what? How in the world? What is going on? That's Job. He's lamenting, he's hurting, but he's worshiping God. And listen, you, you, would, you would see that and go, awesome, man. He's going to worship, and then God's going to bless him, and then he's going to sing a praise song, and this can be awesome, it's going to be so good, right? What, what does the word say? He didn't sin there. I mean, may the name of the Lord be praised, he says at the end of it. But that's not what happens. We just heard the story. He is afflicted more. He's afflicted more. Bows before God. What does confession hold? First of all, we got here with nothing, church. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb. That's what the word says. 
Not just any old womb, my mom's womb, on purpose. God had a design. I got here with nothing in my hands, right? And then the second thing he says is, I will leave with nothing. Like that right there is a life lesson. Holding on to stuff, clinging to it, power, control, uh, possessions, relationships. We're like, oh, if I could just, it's going to work, it's going to work. I heard a great story. It's in a book by C.S. Lewis called Surprised by Joy. And it says while she was passing of cancer, he was by her bed and he was weeping, this great man of God, this great theologian, this great thinker. And he's weeping and he said, oh, joy, oh, joy. I only wish that I could go with you because he was well and she was ailing and he couldn't deal with it. He's, He's just inside out. And he goes, the wife wisest woman in my life looks at me and she says, oh, Joe, or, oh, um, uh, even if, oh, honey, even if we were to hold hands and take our last breath together, we would go alone. That's hard, but true. We're on this journey. We get used to the stuff, but naked we will return. Nothing, nothing will be there in the end. Nothing that we claim status, nothing that we claim Righteousness. And he says a third thing. Yahweh gave it. It's true. Fourth thing. Yahweh took it away. Fifth thing. May we praise Yahweh. Praise his name. Praise him for everything. Praise him for the blessings. Later on, and I'm going to be gentle here because I'm not mad at Job's wife. Because let me just tell you, I almost feel it's weird that she gets one sentence in this whole story. Like, can I get an amen from the women in the room? I mean, if you're in a relationship with a dude, usually the dude's not the most sensitive person around. <laughs> and we have this whole story about Job and his suffering. Where's Job's wife? What is her suffering like? What does her grief look like? Is she putting on that face, trying to act like it's okay? It's okay, I'll make you some food. You know, whatever she's trying to do to make to, to find some meaning in all of this. And in the middle of it, whenever Job worships and he's cursed again and afflicted now, it says Job's afflicted. Now she's watching him suffer. And he's got these boils and he's scraping. And she's like, I've 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 lost my husband. He's gone forever. In the middle of all of this, she says, oh, do you still hold your integrity? Just curse God and die. And I don't think she's like, curse God and die. Because that's so flippant, man. She's like, just get it over with. Who wants to suffer like this, Job? I can't watch you anymore. I've said it before. Sometimes it's harder to be next to the bed than in the bed. I've been there before. I've been in the bed and next to the bed. In the bed, I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. And next to the bed, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. And she says, curse God and die. You see, moms and women, all all considered, feel things more powerfully, more uh, difficult Listen, these children that were destroyed were knit together in her womb. Job's talking about his mother's womb. These were her children that were lost. All these things that come up. Can I just tell you something, by the way? In the middle of adversity, if you're married, one or two things are going to happen. You're going to draw near or you're going to get pulled apart. I've seen it over and over again. Tragedy comes, tragedy comes, tragedy comes. You're going to pull near to one another. You're going to find some grace. You're going to be mad, but be okay. You're going to understand, give each other space to grieve, to suffer, whatever, and then find your reconciliation over time. Or Satan is going to drive a wedge. I can tell you this. I'm sure he was delighted that there was some division with Job and his wife at this point. It's like, it's like the second place prize, you know? Well, at least I caused some problems. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
in our lives, when adversity comes, our marriages struggle. I want to say one more thing, and then we'll move off of Job's wife. He doesn't call her a foolish woman. I don't know your translation reads. He says, you're speaking like one of those foolish women. And in a weird way, Job's saying, I expect different from you than that. He's not saying she's foolish. He's saying you're being like one of them. And he asks a fundamental question. Should you and I receive good from God and not evil? And I don't think this is a philosophical question for Job. It's a suffering question. We we were happy all this time. We were blessed all this time. God gave us favor all the time. Should we receive that and not also bad? What are the wedding vows we take, church? For better and for worse. For richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, right? What is that? Hard days are coming. Hard days are coming. Don't be surprised when hard days come. That's what the vow is for. That's what the covenant promise is for. It's not for the good, awesome days. Those are good days, praise God. But it's for the hard days that come. Job worships and suffers. This is what it says. Verse 22 In all this, the first time, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's key. He never said, you shouldn't have. How could you? How dare you? My family, my stuff. He never sinned, opposed God, by charging, insinuating that God was doing foolish things. The wrongdoing means foolish things. How could you be so foolish, God? He never says those words. He's believing there's a purpose in it. The second thing is, and it's where we ended today, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And I think that might be common, because at the end of this book, Job repents. He does repent. You can't, you can't say, well, he never did anything wrong. No, no, no. He repents of something. It's in this book somewhere, 42 chapters. Why would God do this? I want to point out a minor thing, and we'll close here. Job doesn't say, or God doesn't say, have you considered Job? That one right there. I don't care about him. That one right there. No, no, no. This is what God says. Listen to the word. Have you considered my servant, Job? (laughs) See, God, God knows Job, but God knows he's claimed Job. He knows Job is mine. He's got me. And when, when Satan's like, oh, he's going to curse you to face, he's like, no, he ain't, because he's my servant. He's my, doulos in the Greek, it's slave. He's, he's my, he's submitted unto my will in his life. People go, oh, of course he's faithful to Yahweh because he's blessed. No, he's faithful to Yahweh because he belongs to God. And, 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 you know, God doesn't say to Satan, consider Job on his own. He says, consider my servant Job. Consider my servant Job down on earth as you're roaming around, messing with people. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had the question asked, why do bad things happen to good people? The question is, why not? I heard somebody one time say this, who better for it to happen to than someone who knows God? Why, why would a Christian be afflicted in that way? Who better to happen to than someone who knows there's hope beyond the grave, that knows there's a Lord who's risen, that knows that they have a faith that is in eternity forever by the power of the Holy Spirit, already knows it. You want to you appoint someone in affliction who doesn't know Christ? I've heard people say that. I don't know how they can do life not knowing Jesus. Amen. So why would we say, why us? Here's the question, church. Why not us? Why not us? And why not learn the lesson from Job? Worship and suffer. Look, I ain't looking for suffering for suffering's sake. I ain't. But when it comes, don't be surprised. 
Here's the truth. The book of Job is a book of faith. And I'll tell you this. I think the faith of Job was as much of a surprise to Job as it was to Satan, but not to God. I I think the faith of Job was a surprise to his wife and maybe to Satan, but not to God. He might have been surprised himself about it. I didn't know this was in me. Have you ever struggled in your life? Or maybe you're struggling right now. I mean, maybe today is a hard day for you. Maybe it's not. Listen to me. You will struggle. You will struggle. It's fact. So what do you do in those moments? We hold fast to our integrity. We worship and trust God. Yahweh, the one who made a promise to us in Jesus Christ, is our Lord. One time I was coming to church for my bride. It was a hard day, hard day. We're standing there in the kitchen area leave, and it's like, we don't, we don't even want to go today. That sounds crazy for a pastor to say, but it's true. I want to go. We were talking about it, and it's like, well, if we show up, we're just going to be crying because we're so hurt right now. And the conviction came, so let's show up and cry. What's that conviction to worship God, to stand before him, to present ourselves and say, as I am, receive me, help me. You know what we did? Family Bible Church, true. We showed up and we wept and the church sang. That's what this is, worshiping Yahweh, the creator God. Pray with me if you would. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for all the ways you blessed us and helped us to celebrate our moms and our graduates and our hopes and our dreams and the things that you've done. And Lord, today we hear from the servant Job who has this incredible faith. Lord, I pray that we would not in our hearts kind of condemn Job to that other pile of people who deserved it or people who didn't understand God rightly or whatever, that we would see him as us or more importantly, we would see us as him. That we recognize that we all will have hard days like this. Lord, I'm not here to gang up on anybody, and I don't think you are either, Lord, that that you have a sustaining faith through this life. And maybe today, right now, there's something in our past that's a hurt, that's a harm, that's a burden for us that we carry, and we just don't understand it. I pray, Lord, that in that we would recognize that we're still here in faith, that we still are looking to you for an answer, that we're still waiting to hear you speak about it, and in the meantime, that we would worship you. Help us to, not, to be like Job and not be like a fool and question you over the things that you've appointed for us. May we believe you all the more as the day approaches. May we know you intimately in this life so that we have this assurance in life to come. Help us, Lord, with this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.